0: Once a pastor started his sermon with a statement that he hoped would grab his congregation's attention. He said, some of the best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman who was not my wife. His opening worked. I mean, a gasp went out across the congregation. Everyone was shocked until he added, that other woman was my mother. Well, a Bible college student was in the crowd that day And he noticed how uh, effective this was. Wow, he thought, what a catchy opening line for a sermon. He vowed that he would use the same line in his first sermon. Well, a few months later, this rookie pastor, he had this big opportunity. His knees were knocking. This was his first time in the pulpit. He was beginning his sermon. He said, some of the best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman who was not my wife. But that's when stage fright got the best of him. He froze. He lost his train of thought. Finally, he mumbled, and for the life of me, I can't remember who she was. (laughs) Well, I think we all could say that I've spent some of the best years of my life in the arms of my mother. Today, of course, is Mother's Day, and I want to thank all the moms here today for your love, your nurturing, your training, your discipline all that you have provided your kids. And I also hope to offer you some encouragement today. For moms need all the help they can get. They need someone who understands the demands they face, who can lend a hand and provide some support. And I'm not talking about a nanny, or a grandma, or a caring friend, or even a helpful husband, though all those things would be appreciated. No mother in her right mind would turn those things down, but even if a mom had all that assistance and more, it still wouldn't be enough, for every mom needs help from the person that Jesus called our comforter, our helper, the one Jesus promised would take up where he had left off the title of today's message, Why Moms Need the Holy Spirit. Let me start by saying that mothering is obviously a tough job. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It comes with no vacations, no sick days, no comp time, no lunch hours, no coffee breaks even. A mom is saddled with constant concerns. She's always on the clock. She's always on call. Her shift is never over. A mother's days are long and her job demands are endless. It's been said, there is nothing easy about good mothering. It can be back-breaking, heart-wrenching, and anxiety-producing. And that's just the morning. And even after a job well done, it doesn't mean that a mom is going to walk away you know, with all the appreciation she deserves. As a matter of fact, often the task of motherhood is terribly thankless. Reminds me of the speaker at the women's conference. Her talk was on a woman of excellence. And she concluded her remarks by quoting Proverbs chapter 31. Her children shall rise up and call her blessed. One tired, exasperated young mother turned to a friend and confessed, so far my children just rise up and call me. Hey, being a mom is a very tough job. Here's one mom's confession. She's titled it, I Want to Be a Bear. Bears get to hibernate. You do nothing for six months but sleep. I could deal with that. Before you hibernate, you're supposed to eat yourself silly. I could deal with that too. If you're a bear, your children are born the size of a walnut, and you birth them while you're sleeping. You'll wake to partially grown, cute, cuddly cubs. I could definitely deal with that. If you're a mama bear, everyone knows you mean business. You swat anyone who bothers your cubs. If your cubs get out of line, you swat them too. I could deal with that. If you're a mama bear, your mate expects you to wake up growling. (coughs) He also expects (coughs) that you'll have hairy legs and excess body fat. (laughs) Yep, I'd like to be a bear. (laughs) Evidently, our moms have a tougher job than mama bears. Mothers definitely need help. Once a mom, she was sick in bed, and her daughter was determined to take care of her ailing mom to bring her a cup of hot tea. The little girl had seen mom make tea for her dad. She knew how it was done. This girl, she was so proud to walk into the bedroom with cup and saucer in hand. (coughs) She told her mom what she had done. She had boiled the water, and she had dumped in the leaves, but she couldn't find her mother's strainer. She confessed, Mom, I couldn't find the strainer, so I used your floss water. Well, the mother spit a mouthful of hot tea across the room. But the little girl finished. She comforted her mom. She said, Don't worry, Mom. I didn't use the new floss water. I used the old floss water. <laughs> hey, all moms need help, but they need the right kind of help, don't they? They need a heavenly brand of assistance, they need help of a spiritual sort. Every mom needs the Holy Spirit. You know, it may surprise you, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly what a mom needs. One of the idioms used in the Bible for the Spirit is that of a dove. At Jesus' baptism, remember, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven in the form of a dove. But this wasn't the first time that God used this idiom for the Holy Spirit. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, at the beginning of God's creation... The Holy Spirit is seen brooding over the waters. It seems the Holy Spirit birthed the creation of the earth. The image is that of a mother hen incubating her eggs, hovering over her little chicks. It's interesting the dove speaks of motherhood. And many of the biblical terms associated with God's Spirit are idioms relating to mothering and to childbearing. In John chapter 3, It's through the Holy Spirit that we experience the new birth. Hebrews 5 talks about new believers receiving the milk of God's word. The concern for other people that the Holy Spirit puts in our hearts is referred to in Galatians chapter 4 as a mother's labor pains. Now, please don't misunderstand God is a he, not a she. Whenever God speaks of Himself in the Bible, He does so in masculine terms. He is always our Father. Remember, God is Israel's husband. Jesus is the bridegroom of the church. Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible refers to the Godhead always with the personal pronouns, He and Him and His. God reveals Himself in the role of a male to illustrate His interactions with us. See, God is to us as a husband is to his wife, as a father is to his child. Like a male, God plants the seed of his word in our hearts. And like the female, we then receive that seed and nurture it through our repentance and faith and ultimately bear fruit to him. This is why gender-neutral language in referring to God is not only unbiblical, it poses a serious threat to sound doctrine to pray our parent who is in heaven rather than our Father, or to call Jesus the child of God instead of the Son of God. This strips the Bible of meaning that God intends to convey through gender roles. In Scripture, God speaks through the differences of male and female. It's part of His revelation to mankind. So let me repeat it. God the Holy Spirit is a he, not a she. But having said that, The Holy Spirit reveals to us the tender and sensitive and compassionate and comforting, and you could say, the motherly side of our Father's nature. Genesis 1 verse 27 tells us, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice both male and female are made in God's image. It is the man's maleness or his strength and the woman's femaleness or her sensitivity that together reflect God's image and his likeness. You could say it this way. God is a father with a mother's gentleness. He's tough and tender. He's gritty and gentle. God is kind. This reflects the motherly side of his nature. One of my favorite passages is Isaiah 49. I want to read verse 15 to you now, and I'll come back later and read verse 16. In Isaiah 49, verse 15, the Lord assures his people, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. Notice this. God illustrates his feelings toward Israel as a nursing mom's care for her child. Her own body forces her to think about her baby. As soon as the mother nurses her infant, her breasts begin to fill back up with milk. Her body's getting ready for the child's next meal. Even her own physiology makes it impossible for this nursing mom to ever forget her child. But according to Isaiah, a nursing mom would sooner neglect her feeding child, than for God to neglect his people. How cool is that? God is always thinking about us. In essence, Isaiah is telling us that even though God is a father, God is a father with a mother's heart. I suppose you could say that God is the perfect single parent. He combines the strength of a father and the sensitivity of a mother. And this was the heart of Jesus. In Matthew 23, our Lord spoke of his compassion for Israel in motherly terms. He said, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Jesus also broods over his people. When Jesus said that the Spirit would be another helper of the same kind, similar to himself, I'm sure he was thinking of the tenderness that he shares with the Holy Spirit. Indeed, God is a he, But that doesn't mean that God the Holy Spirit can't love us with a motherly love. A.B. Simpson writes, Human fatherhood expresses a need which is met in God the Father. Human brotherhood and the closer fellowship of husband and bride are met in Christ, the Son of God. But human motherhood has its origin in the Holy Spirit. Here's my point. The Holy Spirit understands a mother's needs. Evidently, God's Spirit can identify with the feelings of a mom. Like a mom, he shares a deep concern for his kids. In fact, a mother's maternal instincts originate from God. This is why moms need the Holy Spirit. When Jesus took a deep breath and breathed on his disciples, imparting to them his Spirit, in verse 22, he includes all believing moms receive the Holy Spirit. But that was just part of what Jesus said. Let me finish his statement for you. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Wow. Now that's some heavy authority. What are the disciples here doing retaining and forgiving sins? Let me explain what's happening here in our text, and then I'll apply it to parents and particularly moms. In essence, Jesus is assigning to his disciples a parenting function in the early church. He's calling them to mother the infant church. And who better to help them in this mothering role than the Holy Spirit? You see, in breathing on his disciples and imparting to them the Holy Spirit, Jesus was ensuring that his initial followers would have what it took to nurture his church. Here in verse 23, Jesus gives to his men a special authority that the Jews referred to by the term "binding and loosing. You remember earlier, Jesus had given this authority to his disciples in Matthew chapter 18. There he said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now realize, binding and loosing, these were rabbinical terms. These were terms used by the Jewish rabbis. To bind means to prohibit. To loose means to approve. Binding and loosing was the authority to raise or to lower a standard, to make or to lift a rule. And in the case of John 20, to extend or retain forgiveness. And this was the authority needed to lead the newborn church. Understand, it was this responsibility to bind and loose that authorized the first disciples to establish Christian faith and practice among these first believers. Remember, in the early days of Christianity, lots of thorny issues had to be worked out. What would be the relationship between law and grace? How do you preserve unity between the Jews and the Gentiles? Both are now members of the church. What about the times and manner of Christian worship? You see, all these issues were uncharted territory at the time. Even the precise meaning of communion and baptism, it had to be clarified. And what did a person have to actually do to know that God had forgiven them of their sins? You see, these initial disciples, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, were given the authority to answer these questions and to set precedence among the early Christians. And it's interesting that the questions and quandaries facing the disciples are many of the same challenges that every new parent and mom have to figure out today. Think about all that a mom has to think about. How do I set rules and standards for my kids and yet still show them love? How do I teach them to get along with people who are different than them, the Gentiles? What about daily routines and family traditions? How are we going to make that work? How are we going to make our times at the dinner table, our communion times, meaningful for our family? And when my child disobeys, how and when do I extend to them forgiveness? See, these are all questions that a mom needs to answer if she's going to keep her family on track. Like the first disciples, she has, to be, she has been entrusted with an awesome responsibility, and she needs the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit to carry that responsibility out. When my kids were older, when they were school age, not older than they are now, but when they were, when they were younger, when my older kids were school age is what I mean to say, uh, Kathy would love to go to the water park at Lake Lanier, something we enjoyed doing. We'd get out of the car. Kathy would lead us to the beach. She'd find just the right place, and then we'd drop our stuff. But at that point, all four of my kids would turn and look at me. They wanted to know, what can I do? When can I go? They looked at me with eager anticipation. They were ready to play, but they needed their parameters and their boundaries. Now, hopefully, my kids n- always know that you should do what's right. And you should avoid what's wrong. But you see, at that moment at the water park, in this unfamiliar environment, my children needed parents to define for them what was right and wrong under those specific circumstances. At home, they know their boundaries. They know their limitations. But the water park is another world. And each kid needs a parent to interpret right and wrong for them in that situation. And so what would I do? I would start binding and loosing. I'd say to the oldest, all right, Zach, you can ride this, you can go over there, but you better stay on this side of the lake. Yes, sir. With my daughter, I had other considerations. Natalie, it's okay for you to go over there, but this is off limits. Make sure you don't dare leave this area. Yes, sir. Then the adventurous one. Nick, go ahead and get a mat, and when you get to the top of the slide... Make sure you wait on me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes, sir. <laughs> and then finally to my youngest, who was still a tot at the time, Mac, you're to, not to leave this beach without your mom. Do you get that? Yes, sir. You see, in those first few minutes at the water park, I doled out to each of my kids the limits and opportunities that were suitable to them, that were based on their gender, their age, their maturity, their personality, and their swimming ability. Now that's not to say that rules are subjective. To the contrary, there are universal standards that apply to all my kids that day. The water park had its own set of rules that everyone was supposed to keep. Our family has rules that are always in force. Obviously, I expect my children to be moral and to have some common sense. But what I did for my kids in those first few minutes after we arrived at the water park was to take all of these rules and to apply them wisely to the situation at hand. My kids needed a parent to help them sort through the rules and make the most immediate applications. You see, a parent's job at the water park is to take the park rules and the family rules and the moral rules and the common sense rules and then wisely put them together and give specific instructions for each child on that day. If it had been raining, I would have altered where they could go or what they could do. If the sun were blistering, it would have meant more breaks. With the younger kids, we had to be a little tighter and more binding. With the older kids, we could loosen things up a bit. A parent loves his or her kids and instructs them accordingly. This is the fine art being a parent. What's appropriate for one child at one age and in one environment may not be appropriate two years later and in a different situation. Enjoying a day at the water park required that I do some binding and loosing. And this is what a mom does every single day of her life. A mom is always somewhere in the process of either letting some rope out and giving her kids opportunities to learn Or she's pulling that rope back in. She's reeling it back in. She's tightening the screws on her kids and binding them under stricter rules and discipline. And this is why parenting, especially being a mother, takes great sensitivity. You need spiritual insight into the heart of your child. To be a good mom, a woman needs a heavenly wisdom. See, if you use a litany of rules to try to control your children, and you never give them any freedom, and you shelter them from childish mistakes, then you're going to stifle that child, and you're going to keep him or her from turning your values into their own. On the other hand, if a parent doesn't have the courage to impose their rules, the child will never learn to delay a desire or to say no to a behavior. A child who doesn't have boundaries is destined for destruction. A child needs freedom but within limits. And God's means of teaching a child this balance is called a parent. A mom has to know when to turn their child loose and when to reel that child back in. And it's a process. As country singer Kenny Rogers used to sing, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. A popular term today is helicopter mom. This is the mom who's always catering and hovering and brooding over her kids. She's always rescuing them from their own mistakes. Since her success is wrapped up in her kids, she does whatever it takes to keep her kids from failing. God forbid that the kids might go one day without lunch. Mom, your child won't learn responsibility if you're the one that's always bailing them out of their own poor choices. A child doesn't need a helicopter mom. He or she needs a mom empowered by the Holy Spirit, by the dove. God's Spirit will hover over and brood over your kids. You can trust Him to do so. And He will give a mom wisdom to help her kids make their own decisions. He'll even help mom forgive her kids when they fail. Under the Old Testament, these questions facing the early church would have been easy to answer. The Hebrews lived by the law. It was all laid out for them. Their society was Jews only. Forget about the Gentiles. Exact times for worship were spelled out in advance. Jewish rituals were always by the book. And everyone knew when a person's sins were forgiven, my, you could just see the sacrifice there burning on the altar. In the Old Testament, God answered all his people's questions through a system of rules and rituals. Moses just laid down the law. There was no need for any sensitivity. There were no exceptions, just a rigid adherence to what was written in black and white. Hey, you live by the code. There was no ambiguity under the law. No room for personal discernment. No need for individual sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Life was one size fits all. But the problem under the law of Moses was that it didn't produce loyal and loving kids. In fact, under the Old Testament law, the Jews rebelled. The children of Israel became incorrigible kids. They refused to obey their heavenly father. And this is what I find happens when a parent only lays down the law. When they devise a rigid set of rules with little room to adapt those rules to their child's development, the child never gets a taste of freedom. He or she doesn't know how to make wise decisions on their own. Thus, the first time that child gets out from under mom's apron strings, when he or she gets a car or they go off to college, the kids end up running wild. Mom... God has called you to mother, not smother your child. And to do that, you need discernment and sensitivity and flexibility, which all require God's Holy Spirit. It's interesting that when God started over in the New Testament, rather than lay down the law, He instituted a different approach. Through His Son, Jesus, God breathed on His disciples and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Rather than write His will down on stone tablets, God wrote His law on the hearts of His disciples. The Lord put His Spirit and nature within them. The disciples led the church as they were led by the Holy Spirit. No longer would God's people be governed by rules and rituals. From now on, they were led by the Holy Spirit, through the confirmation of those initial disciples. The law smothers us, it's the Holy Spirit who mothers us. He bursts in us a desire to follow God and to love others. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, Paul tells us where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, and the Holy Spirit uses that liberty to grow us up and teach us. Rather than one size fits all, the Spirit leads us intimately and individually. The love that Jesus communicates through the touch of His Spirit causes us to love our Father more. When Jesus breathed on His disciples and imparted to them the Holy Spirit, He was weaning them off the law. He no longer wanted them trapped in legalism. Rather than a robotic obedience, Jesus' disciples were to listen to Him and lean on Him through the person of the Holy Spirit. Then those first disciples were to teach other believers in the future to do the same. And this is the job of a mother in the lives of her kids. Mom, your job is to lead your children by listening to the Holy Spirit's specific prescription for what they need at each turn in their growth and development. And in the process, teach your child how to listen to the Spirit himself. See, here's the point. The difference between mothering and smothering is the Holy Spirit. The responsibility the risen Lord gave to his 11 disciples in that upper room was strategic. It was monumental. On the cross, Jesus paid for mankind's forgiveness. But once that price was paid, it was then up to Jesus' disciples to dispense that forgiveness. See, in the beginnings of the church, new Christians had to be led Repentant people were convicted of their sin by the Holy Spirit. They were appointed to Jesus and all that he had done for them. But what was their part? I mean, what were they to do to be saved? What were they supposed to say? What were they supposed to pray? How did you receive God's forgiveness? And it was his disciples' role to sort it out for the church. And this is why Jesus says to them in verse 23, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now don't misunderstand. Nowhere in the Bible is any human given the authority to forgive sins. Not the priest in the confessional booth, not the pastor in the altar, not even the pope. Forgiveness comes only from heaven. But in the process of witnessing to someone Jesus gives us, his followers, the responsibility of setting out the terms of salvation and to provide that person some closure when they've embraced those terms. Based on the person's response, it's our job to let them know where they stand afterwards. I can provide assurance or I can prevent a false sense of security. Hey, I've prayed with people and since their sincerity... And after leading him to the Lord, I've prayed, God, I thank you that my friend is now forgiven. His sins have been washed away. He now has a home in heaven. And with those words come a sigh of relief. The person who prayed believes that. He's assured that the terms have been met. But there have also been times when I've looked a hypocrite in the face and told him God wouldn't forgive him unless he repented and was willing to change. See, I had the power to confirm the person's forgiveness or to keep them contemplating their still guilty heart. And as a parent, particularly as a mom, I believe this is the most important task we can perform for our children. When your little boy or girl, your little tyke, he or she knows that they've done wrong, that they're truly sorry for their sin, mom don't you miss the opportunity to kneel by your child and ask with them for God's forgiveness. And once you've prayed, once they've prayed sincerely, don't leave them hanging. Man, sweep your little guy up in in your arms and celebrate a new start. Rejoice that all is forgiven and forgotten. Assure your child that he or she has been cleansed by God. Let your little one know that they're still loved and valued both by God And their mother. Let me ask you, how can a child believe God has forgiven their sins if his own mom can't or won't communicate her acceptance when the time comes? Earlier I read Isaiah 49, verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. But I told you I'd also read verse 16. It adds this, see, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Just as a busy mom might write a to-do list on the back of her hand or on her palm, just to remind herself, God writes your name in his palm to commemorate his love for you. How cool is that? And notice in our text, John 20 verse 20, we're told, check this out, Jesus showed them His hands. He displayed the scars in His hands. For those scars were the proof of His love for them. But I wonder if that's all that they saw. Isaiah says, God has inscribed you on the palm of His hands to assure His men that they had been forgiven. Could it be that the disciples saw their names next to Jesus' scars? I'm certain of this. The disciples left that upper room that day confident that all their sins had been blotted out. In that upper room, Jesus assured his disciples that they had been forgiven. And then he gave them the responsibility for doing the same for the thousands upon thousands of sinners who would come after them and believe. A mom tucks her kids in bed at night. She helps them with their homework. She prepares meals. She shuttles them to practice. Later in life, she'll help them in a thousand other ways. But a mother's most vital role in her children's life is to faithfully represent God. Mom, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. A mother's love is unconditional, but she also has a responsibility to let her child know when they are and aren't right with God, if they're forgiven or not. See, more than anyone else in our lives, our mom has the right to announce God's forgiveness or to warn us of our guilt. She's the lady that brought us into this world. She knows us better than anyone else. Our mom can speak into our lives in ways that no one else can. Whenever a person repents, You can bet his or her mom is the first to celebrate their forgiveness. But if they remain in a state of rebellion and don't learn the lesson, a good mom won't let that child off the hook. A godly mom is willing to exercise some tough love at times. If you see no repentance and your child isn't willing to change, then their guilt needs to be retained. Mothers shouldn't be pushovers. No one needs a mamby-pamby mom. It's not love to let your kids get away with bloody murder then to defend them when they're obviously guilty. That's doing them an injustice. Real love forgives, but it also makes the child pay for the window they broke. Real love forgives after the child's gone next door and apologized. Real love forgives, but it refuses to support a destructive lifestyle. Real love, though difficult to do, retains a person's sins on earth until those sins are forgiven in heaven. It was over 45 years ago now, but I still remember the day like it was yesterday. When I was 10 years old, the neighbor girl, Becky, she came to the back door. She knocked on the door. She told my mom, Mrs. Adams, Sandy hit me. If I recall correctly, she deserved it. But my mom had a rule, boys don't hit girls. And I'll never forget my mom making me stand there with my arms behind my back while little Becky reared up and slapped me right across the jaw as hard as she could. 45 years later, it still stings to this day. But I've never hit a girl since. A mother's love never gives up on her kids. I can disappoint my mom, I can bring shame to my mom. I can break my mother's heart, but I am certain I will never be able to stop my mother from loving me. And I would imagine you feel the same about your mom. Yet I'm just as certain that my mom's love will always tell me the truth. Though she loves me no matter what, I know she won't always agree with me or approve of me if I choose to live in blatant sin or if I embrace a falsehood. At times, it's hard to be a mom. Most moms would rather comfort their child than confront their child, but at times, moms have to do both. A Christian mom stands not only for love, but for truth. Reminds me of the courage of Mary Thomas. She was a single mom of nine kids living on the rough and tumble west side of Chicago. One day, she opened the front door of her house to find 25 street thugs standing on her porch. They were gang members from the vice lords. They'd come to recruit her boys to their gang. Mary Thomas told them, okay, hold on just a second, I'll be right back. And she shut the door. Well, when it reopened, Mary was standing in the doorway with a double-barreled shotgun in her hands. Mary told them, there's only one gang around here and it's the Thomas gang. (laughs) Mary eventually walked each of her nine kids to their high school graduation. In fact, you've heard of her youngest son, Isaiah Thomas. He enjoyed a Hall of Fame career in the NBA. This is the courage every mom needs to do her job. For a mom is called to represent God in an evil world. This is why she desperately needs the Holy Spirit. When Jesus breathes on a mom and says, receive the Holy Spirit, he gives to that mom the strength of God and the love of God and the courage of God and the compassion of God and the wisdom of God and everything else that mother is ever going to need to represent Jesus to her children. A good mom mothers her kids. She doesn't smother her kids. And that takes courage and wisdom and sensitivity. And that's why mom needs the Holy Spirit. Mom, this morning, I want you to open your heart, and I want to challenge you to be receptive to the Holy Spirit. I want to pray for our Lord Jesus to breathe on you and impart to you this morning a fresh empowerment of His Spirit. You're needy, but He's willing. So let's pray.